0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. So we continue in our summer series that some have named and labeled the Summer Sizzle Series in light of today's heat. That fan feels good, but it's a joy to study God's Word together. So we're taking a break from the Gospel of John, and we're looking at all these topics. They do have relevance. There's reasons for looking at these different topics. You probably noticed already in your handout there, the title of today's message, what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. So as I tried to solicit feedback from everybody over about a period of two to three months, 100 people surveyed, top five answers on the board. Number one answer, speaking in tongues. So that was uh, interesting. It didn't really surprise me that much, though. The reason it didn't surprise me is I want to ask you a question. need your uh, participation this morning. If you know of a Christian or have ever been to a church that believed in speaking in tongues, or if you have ever seen speaking in tongues on television, or if you have ever believed in speaking in tongues, raise your hand real quick. Okay, go ahead and put your hand down. So that was the majority of the people in this room. And if you didn't raise your hand and know me, you can raise your hand because I used to speak in tongues. Okay, go ahead and put those hands down. So now that means just about everybody in the room has intersected with the topic of speaking in tongues. Many times it's confusing. Um, That's why we need to address it regarding what the Bible has to say about the topic. Very important. By the way, in the last from beginning in the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s in particular, the topic of tongues was very divisive and controversial in the American church. One of the main reasons was because it was a new phenomenon, universally speaking. Um, In church history, you don't find anything about speaking in tongues from the 2nd century up until the late 19th century. It just didn't exist for the most part. Speaking in tongues during church history from 2nd century... Till the 19th century, only existed among the occult, false religions, a few minority heretical sects like the Montanists. Mormonism holds formally to one one of their eight, or actually one of their 14 beliefs, speaking in tongues is formally stated in one of their main beliefs. Um, So throughout church history, there isn't a lot of information on it, either in writing or talked about just because it wasn't happening and it didn't exist. And then there was a supposed revival in the early 1900s in in the area of Los Angeles, California, the Azusa Street Revival, they call it. And there were ecstatic experiences, supposedly, miracles, supposedly, that were done. Some who were called Christians had visions, apparently. Uh, But the church at large kind of dismissed that as a fringe, weird behavior at the time, historically speaking, from the church's point of view. But in terms of doing the history of speaking in tongues, most people would point back to that as a very significant time and event of when uh, the issue of tongues arose and began to trickle down in the mainstream of Christianity. And actually, so that was in the early 1900s. But it wasn't until the 1960s where speaking in tongues began to be practiced here and there in little pockets in mainstream denominations, Protestant denominations. And that's really starting in the 1960s and that just uh, it broke loose and then infiltrated just about every major Protestant denomination and even the Roman Catholic Church at that time. So since the 1960s, uh, speaking in tongues has been an issue for just about every church in America, whether it was Roman Catholic or Protestant. And so we have to deal with it. And even from our point of view of of biblical or Bible churches, independent Bible churches, we had uh, Calvary Chapel that started in the 1970s. It was very influential and at one time was the fastest growing church in America, if not the world. And that is a charismatic church. Uh, And they believed in speaking in tongues and still do. So you may be familiar with the Calvary Chapel. You may have attended a Calvary Chapel. I know Calvary Chapel pastors and friends who go to Calvary Chapel. I taught a class of Greek New Testament at a Calvary Chapel this last year. Um, So there was the Calvary Chapel, and off that splintered the Vineyard Movement. Came right out of the Calvary Chapel Movement with John Wimber. And that, at one point, reached the peak of one of the fastest growing churches in America, again, if not the world, in the 80s. Uh, and then more recently, and those have kind of uh, tapered down a little bit, and from an evangelical, biblical point of view, one of the most influential, charismatic churches that's growing, gaining prominence, even in our venue of Christianity, would be Sovereign Grace Ministries and C.J. Mahaney. And a lot of people scratch their head, oh, I didn't know it was charismatic. But by definition, in terms of what they believe, it would be, categorized as a charismatic church, and they're not ashamed of that. They're actually proud of that. So it's an issue that we have to deal with, and just about everybody raised their hand, and God's Word calls us to preach the Word, 2 Timothy 4, so we need to preach the Word. And the Bible has something to say about speaking in tongues. And the Apostle Paul exhorted elders, referring to himself as the model, you need to preach the full counsel of God, everything the Bible has to say. So we can't just side-skirt controversial issues because we're afraid, and we don't want to deal with it, or because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody and ostracize them, and they're not going to come to our church anymore and put money in the coffers. Uh, That's not a legitimate reason. We need to address the full counsel of God. God has something to say about speaking in tongues, and that issue affects just about every single one of us in one way or another, either directly or indirectly. And uh, So that's what I attempt to do. I'm not going to be exhaustive about speaking in tongues, but just want to give you some guideposts of main things to keep in mind Regarding what the Bible has to say about speaking in tongues, because the Bible does address the issue, so very important to keep that in mind. I mentioned earlier that I spoke in tongues at one time, and I did, or at least I thought I did. So when I first got saved, uh, I was an unbeliever. I went to this uh, Christian college in West, uh, in Santa Barbara, California, and God put me in there as a pagan with two Christians who were charismatic Christians, and they went to Calvary Chapel in the Vineyard, and they picked up rather quickly that I was a pagan. And they didn't want to be living in a dorm room with a pagan all year. So they started praying for my salvation, witnessing for me. And I ended up getting saved two months after being at college. And then for the next two years, I went to nothing but exclusively charismatic churches for about a year and a half to two years. That's all the only input I had. And I listened. I just devoured Bible tapes. But all of those Bible tapes in my first year and a half of my Christian life was nothing but exclusively charismatic Bible teachers. Most prominently, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, John Wimber, Rod Parsley, Charles Caps, Fred Price, Benny Hinn, Marilyn Hickey, Tom Stipes, Andrew Womack. Uh, these were very influential in me for the first year and a half of my Christian life. And so I got very well and attended a lot of charismatic churches, primarily the Vineyard and Calvary Chapels. So I became very well versed in charismatic theology. Actually, it was the only thing I knew was charismatic theology because I was a new Christian, didn't know the Bible. Uh, And so in attending one of these churches, after being a Christian for about a year, there was a healing service and a miracle week at the Charismatic Church. And I went and it was in Denver at Marilyn Hickey's church. She's very well known. And I went there to to get healed. And while I was there at the service, uh, they also gave the invitation and said, if you are a Christian and you want to receive the gift of being filled with the Spirit by evidence of speaking in tongues and you haven't received that gift yet, then we invite you to come and do that. And so I went with about a hundred others in that church down into a room with one of the deacons, and he read a couple Bible passages and then told us we were going to receive the gift of speaking in tongues, evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that every Christian should do that. Every Christian should be filled with the Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And so he began to tell us how to do it, and he had us all stand up, and he said, when I say go, just start mumbling words. Whatever you want. Just let it go. Um... And we'll do that and we'll practice together for about five minutes and the Holy Spirit will come and He'll take over the use of your tongue. So we all stood up and He said, go. And then everybody's mumbling, including me. Now, Jack Hayford is an influential Bible teacher, has been for 40 years, man of God, but he's charismatic. And I taught at a Christian school that was close to Jack Hayford's church for four years. So a lot of the students that I had went to Jack Hayford's church. So I got to interact with a lot of charismatic families and charismatic students. But Jack Hayford uh, has a study Bible and he has taught on speaking in tongues. And I heard a message on the radio one time by Jack Hayford. And, and he's um, confident enough in his own faith to kind of make fun of charismatics, which he did. And he, he says, some people make fun of us charismatics because of the when, when we speak in tongues, it sounds kind of funny. And he gave an example of bada mazda, shudda bada honda, bada mazda, shudda bada honda, bada mazda, bada And if you start doing that, he was just kind of saying, that's what it sounds like, um, So anyway, so when we were standing there getting the gift, doing that, that's what it sounded like. Everybody's kind of mumbling and all this stuff. And then after about five minutes, the deacon told us all to sit down. And he said, if you received your gift, you may be dismissed. If you had trouble receiving your gift of tongues, stay here. And just about everybody filtered out of the room except for me and a handful of other people. And then a bunch of assistants and deacons converged on me and counseled me and told me how I can receive my gift because I told them I, I didn't get it. This ain't happening. Feels weird. Well, and then they told me, well, just keep doing it. And for the next seven days, go home. Uh, go in your bathroom, shut the door, be by yourself, and two times a day for 20 minutes a day, practice your language, your tongue. Blah, 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 like that. And then over the course of five or six days, the Holy Spirit will take over. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went home and I practiced for a day, and then I practiced the second day. And on the third day, I'm in the bathroom, and I'm thinking, this is silly. I feel kind of weird. I'm not getting it. And then I just kind of gave up. <laughs> thought, well, I guess I don't have the gift. But that was my early Christian experience. Um... But for the next five years, I decided, you know, I'm just going to see what God's Word has to say about this because it's rather confusing. And the, every a lot of Christians I talked to were confused too because nobody was saying the same thing about tongues. So it became clear to me, there's a lot of people confused about this issue. So I think I got to a point finally where God showed me clearly, and it was from Scripture that made it clear what, what tongues was, what it was for, how it was to be practiced and implemented. And that's what I want to bring... To you today. Just five main points. Not an exhaustive study about speaking in tongues, but five things to keep in mind to think biblically about the topic of speaking in tongues. Mind you, I don't think that speaking in tongues and differing on the theology of it necessarily should ultimately divide true born again Christians. As I said, the two roommates that I had in college who prayed for my salvation believed in speaking in tongues. I don't know if they do today, but they did at the time. They knew Jesus Christ personally. They were brothers in the Lord. So it doesn't need to be that divisive of an issue. So let's go ahead and look at speaking in tongues and what the Bible has to say about it. By way of introduction, God has given all Christians spiritual gifts. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. If you are a Christian, God has given you a spiritual gift, maybe more than one. Maybe a mix of more than one. God has given all Christians spiritual gifts by which they are to serve His body, the church, that's what it's for. serving in the local church. God doesn't call you to be a spectator and an audience, but involved in your local church, implementing your spiritual gift. that is Ephesians chapter four. At the judgment, you will have to face Christ, Christian, and be accountable to him. And Jesus Christ will hold all Christians accountable for how they managed or used their gifts, First Peter 410. It's a stewardship responsibility. And every Christian will receive heavenly rewards or a lack thereof based on whether you used your gifts or not or used them in the right way. One of the spiritual gifts named in the New Testament is tongues or speaking in tongues. And that is the topic of hand that we're going to examine today in light of what the Bible has to say. So five things about speaking in tongues I want to address. And let's go on to point number one. Speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift or is a spiritual gift. You need to acknowledge that. It's clear it's in Scripture. You can't just dismiss it. Some people actually do that. Or they minimize it or marginalize it and even dismiss it. That's not being biblical. Speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift. Tongues is one of 19 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul and Peter. Speaking in tongues was predicted in Isaiah 28 in the Old Testament, 700 years before Christ came. It was just predicted. That is the only reference in the entire Old Testament to speaking in tongues. It's a prophecy. Speaking in tongues is modeled in the book of Acts. The theology isn't addressed or explained, but it's practiced. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. And finally, it is explained thoroughly in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's what the Bible has to say about tongues. There's not a lot of information. Because there's not a lot of information, there's a lot of obscurity and a lot of questions that remain unanswered. But we only have to deal with what God has revealed not what or what He did not reveal. Tongues was the supernatural. What was it, by the way? And that's where a lot of people disagree about what it is. The churches I went to and came from, they would tell me, by definition, it was, it was not a real language. It was not a human language. It was just kind of gibberish. It was mumbo-jumbo that God used supernaturally. It was supernaturally energized, but it wasn't a real language. It was a heavenly language that was just kind of gibberish, mumbo-jumbo babble. That is not what the New Testament teaches at all. This is probably the most important principle. Based on Acts chapter 2, 10, 19, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. According to the Bible, speak, and also Isaiah 28, the prophecy about it, speaking in tongues was the supernatural ability to speak a foreign language, a real language, a human language, a recognizable language. Not Babel. The supernatural ability and energized by the Holy Spirit to speak a foreign language spontaneously. In other words, God would give that person the ability to speak a foreign language of a language they previously did not know and a language they never studied. Can you imagine the ability to spontaneously speak Chinese if you've never studied or known Chinese? That's like one of the hardest languages in the world. That in Pig Latin, I'm told. But this is what the gift was. Look at Acts chapter 2. This is the... Only extensive passage I'm going to read. The rest of them are just verses. Tim already read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. But I do want to read Acts chapter 2 because this is where it is modeled. This is where it is clear. This is where it started. A gift of the church, by the way. Not the Old Testament. Speaking in tongues was a gift of Christ's body, the church. And the gift was not given until Jesus Christ ascended and gave the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's when all the spiritual gifts came. None of the spiritual gifts of the church existed before Pentecost. Existed before Jesus ascended. Formally and technically, in terms of the church. Now, the apostles were getting primed. They were the first for their role of laying the foundation of the church. So, Acts chapter 2, Jesus has already ascended into heaven, and then he sends the Holy Spirit 50 days later at Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost came, uh, they, that's the 12 apostles, and the other group of believers, about 120 of them, were together praying. They were all together in one place and suddenly out of nowhere there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as tongues as of fire. So there was a physical manifestation of an extraordinary manner distributing among the people and they rested on each of the people. This was the Holy Spirit, no doubt. He comes as a dove. He comes as flames of fire on the early church. He rested on every one of the believers there, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing, filled with the Holy Spirit. Trace that phrase throughout the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, it doesn't say, and then he spoke in tongues every time. Most of the time it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. So filled with the Holy Spirit is not synonymous with speaking in tongues. Very important in the book of Acts. Speaking in tongues could be accompanied by it, but the majority of the time that is not true. This is something unique and distinct. The holy All that means they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit began to live in them, reside in them, initially and then as a powerful way controlling their life as Christians. One of the byproducts was they began at that moment to speak with other tongues. Supernatural languages. By the, word, the way, in verse 4, they began to speak with other tongues. The Greek word there. Means tongue, the muscle in your mouth, or language, a human language. That's all it means. It's not babble. It's not ecstatic speech. They began to speak with languages as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance, literally, the ability to speak. And so what was going on here is 120 of them were together. They're praying. The Holy Spirit comes down. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of them, not all of them, some of them began to speak or had the gift of speaking in tongues. Then they left that room. They went out into the public square in Jerusalem. A crowd of over 3,000 people, maybe 5,000 people converged. And the Christians began to share the gospel. And some of the Christians began to speak the mysteries of God through speaking in tongues. Because it was a holiday. It was Pentecost. There were uh, pilgrims from all over the place who came to Jerusalem who had different ethnicities, different backgrounds, and different mother tongues from Egypt. And some Arabs whose native language wasn't Greek. And so the apostles and others are speaking a supernatural language of the mysteries of God and the Gospel of Christ in a supernatural tongue to them so they could hear it and understand it. That's what Acts 2 is telling us as we read the story. So they go out. Into the city, verse 5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men, from every nation under heaven. So some of these people had moved there to Jerusalem from all over the place. And when the sound occurred, the whole multitude came together. We know later in chapter 2 that there were over 3,000 people who assembled publicly in Jerusalem to hear the apostles and the Christians teach and to see what was going on in all this commotion. They were bewildered because they were each one of them hearing the Christians and the apostles speak in their own native language. There it is. So Jews who had moved from Egypt and came and settled in Jerusalem and their native language is Egyptian, they heard some of this being preached in Egyptian and they knew that the apostles were Galileans and they're thinking, how did these Galileans know Egyptian so well? And even the nuances of the way they accent the words, that's amazing! That's what's going on here. By the way, most of these 3,000 people that are congregating, listening to the apostles speak in foreign languages and tongues, they are not believers. They don't know Jesus Christ yet. That is hugely important because the gift of speaking in tongues was primarily for Christians to speak to unbelievers. The gift of tongues was not for speaking at church. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. It was for unbelievers to speak the mysteries of God to unbelievers in a foreign language so they could understand it and fully comprehend the Gospel. And that's what's going on here. So they heard their language in verse 7 and they were amazed and marveled, saying, why are not all these... Men, especially the apostles, uh, aren't they Galileans? And how is it that each one of them hears, or each, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, these were where people were from, Egypt, and the districts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity. And then the Apostle Peter, verse 14, goes on to preach the Gospel in his native language, preaching the Gospel. Verse 22, he's addressing them as the men of Israel. They are Jews. They don't know Jesus Christ yet. So he's preaching the Gospel to over 3,000 people. The conclusion of his sermon is in verse 37. It says, now when these unbelievers, Jewish unbelievers and proselytes heard the Gospel... It says they were pierced to the heart. They were convicted of their sin by the Gospel. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent! Repent! And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Wow! These were unbelievers. So tongues was the supernatural ability to speak a foreign language that was a human language, to speak it to unbelievers so that they could hear the mysteries of God in their own language. That's what speaking in tongues was, and that's what it was for. So that's a very helpful passage, Acts chapter 2. Because everything else builds on that. Other things. Tongues was a spiritual gift. Um, The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he spoke in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you because... Paul was writing to the Corinthians because they were abusing their spiritual gifts. They were highly gifted in terms of spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, there was a manifestation of every spiritual gift at the church of Corinth. God was very gracious to them, but unfortunately over time, they got cocky, they got arrogant, they got puffed up, they got carnal, they were very self-centered, and they began abusing the spiritual gifts, especially the showy ones, like speaking in tongues. It was, it was a cool gift to have. And many of them were showing off, and that's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians the whole book, chapter one, he addresses the issue in 12 through 14. He says, "You guys are—you have the wrong attitude. You're abusing the gifts. You think it's your own. It was a gift from God. You're using it for the wrong motive. You're using it for yourself. You're not using it to edify others. Shame on you." So it's corrective. But the point—and so, Bob, uh, so uh, Paul kind of rebukes them because he knew that they were flaunting the gift of spiritual tongues. And Paul shakes his finger in their face and says, "You know what? I'm, I speak in tongues more than any of you. I'll take you toe to toe. Bring it on." Because he was an apostle. Speaking in tongues was a form of direct revelation, by the way. So Paul could say that. I speak in tongues more than all of you. Also, it was a real language and not babble or ecstatic speech, which we already said. The word dialecto is used in Acts chapter 2 of tongues. Dialecto, where we get dialectic. The dialects we speak, that's human language. So there's two words for it. Glossa or glossolalia and dialecto, which means human language. Uh, an important thing that the Corinthians needed to be rebuked about and reminded of in 1 Corinthians 14.5, Paul said was that speaking in tongues was inferior to the other gifts. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, he lists the gifts in order of priority. And he starts, first, apostleship. Second, prophecy. Third, and then guess what's at the bottom of the rung? Speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, when I, from my experience of the churches I went to, they made a priority of speaking in tongues. That was a given. If you were to ask them, Uh, what's the most important spiritual gift? 99%, including me at the time, would say, speaking in tongues! Which tells you right there, that lacks a biblical balance. Paul is categorical in saying that tongues is inferior to some of the other gifts. He says, uh, greater greater is a Christian who prophesies, has the gift of prophecy, than the Christian who speaks in tongues. Wow. So that's point number one. Tongues are a spiritual gift. Number two, tongues was a form of public prayer. Now, our charismatic friends would say that speaking in tongues primarily is a prayer language. And in one sense, they're right. It is a language, and it is a prayer language. The problem is, the typical charismatic theology will say that it's a private prayer language. Like they told me. Go into your closet, shut the door, and you speak in tongues to yourself. It's your prayer language. And you don't even know what's going on. You don't know what you're saying. But it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf and you don't need to know what it means. But today they will tell you it is a private prayer language just for yourself primarily. That is not true. First Corinthians, Paul is clear. It is a public prayer language. It is a prayer to be purposefully spoken to God with an audience listening in so they can be edified and blessed by that prayer, that supernatural prayer. This is modeled all throughout the Bible. 1 Kings 8, Solomon does that very thing. He doesn't speak in tongues, but he says a public prayer. The whole chapter chapter eight is a public prayer by Solomon so that the whole congregation can hear his prayer as he talks to God and it is edifying to everyone who heard because it was a supernatural, divine, revelatory prayer that God gave Solomon to speak. That is exactly what speaking in tongues is. It was prayer. It was a public prayer. It was divine, supernatural, revelatory prayer that was supposed to edify everyone who heard. Edify your challenge. It's not a private prayer language. It's a public prayer. Prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14.2 One who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. There it is. That's the difference between that and prophecy. Prophecy was when you speak from God to the people. Speaking in tongues was speaking to God directly, not the people. 1 Corinthians 14.4 Paul explicitly says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So there he, by definition, says tongues is a prayer language. Now, speaking of prayer is this how, so since it was a prayer language, is this how Jesus wants all Christians to pray? Because that's what I was taught. And that's what charismatic theology today will say, that every Christian should be speaking in tongues. Jack Hayford says that unabashedly. He's got a study Bible, the charismatic study Bible. And on 1 Corinthians 12, he says that categorically. If you are a Christian, you should be speaking in tongues. And if you're not speaking in tongues as a Christian, you are either ignorant, naive, or just downright disobedient and hard-hearted. That's his view in his study Bible. And he's not apologetic about it. He's not embarrassed about it. That isn't what the Bible says. How should Christians pray? Well, we've got it modeled up throughout the Bible. There are over 650 prayers in the Bible. You can get Herbert Lockyer's all the prayers of the Bible and read those. The Psalms was God's gift to Israel as a book of prayers of how to pray. And then when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Jesus didn't say, speak in tongues. Or let me tell you about speaking in tongues. He didn't do that. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gave us Matthew 6, didn't he? Pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus gave us a model of prayer for all Christians for all time. A model. It was how to pray. Talk, it was just conversation with God. In language you understood. That was Jesus' model. Very important. So that's how we're to pray today. This is, so speaking in tongues is not a prayer language for every Christian that they should have. When it comes to prayer, Jesus told us clearly how to pray. Pray directly to God the way Jesus modeled it. And all the models you will find all throughout The Bible. By the way, in all those 650 plus prayers in the Bible, not one of those prayers is in speaking in tongues. It was in the language of the person that was praying that prayer, whether it was Anna, Samuel, David, intelligible, known languages, and simple conversation to Almighty God. Tongues was a form of public prayer. Number three, speaking in tongues was was for a limited number of people. As I said, uh, charismatic theology says that speaking in tongues is for every Christian. And Paul is clear. In 1 Corinthians 12-14, through one of his main arguments is that tongues is not for every Christian. Tongues is one of the spiritual gifts. I said that he lists 19 spiritual gifts explicitly and specifically. And one of his main arguments, he asks rhetorically, not every Christian has the same spiritual gift. Not all our apostles, are they? That's a rhetorical question in Greek. It means, no, not all our apostles, are they? No, they're not. Or in other words, not everybody has the gift of apostleship. Not everybody has the gift of prophecy. Not everybody has the gift of the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge. And not everybody has the gift of speaking in tongues. So he says it explicitly and categorically there. Speaking in tongues was only for a limited number of Christians who God desired to give the gift to, who God thought should receive that gift. Not every Christian. You can't get around that in 1 Corinthians 12 at the end of the chapter. It was for a limited number of people. It was also limited by the fact that this gift needed to be interpreted. That was one thing that I never heard in a year and a half of being in that environment Plenty of people telling me to speak in tongues, appreciate speaking in tongues, do it if you can, you should do it. No one ever told me specifically that it needs to be interpreted. No one ever said that. I have never even heard that concept. And yet that's one of Paul's main arguments. If somebody has the gift of tongues and they're doing it, then an interpreter needs to be there so everybody else can know what they said. So if there is a gift of speaking in tongues going on, there must be an interpreter. So the gift is limited by virtue of those who are around who can either understand it or interpret it. So it could not be understood unless it was interpreted. Paul says categorically, 1 Corinthians 14.27, if anyone speaks in tongues, then let somebody interpret that tongue on the spot. Especially in the believing assembly. 1 Corinthians 14.22, tongues was meant to be spoken publicly to unbelievers as a sign of judgment, not to believers. I already addressed that issue. But he says tongues are for a sign, a warning. To who? Not to those who believe, not for believers, but to unbelievers. That was the prediction of Isaiah 28. Also, tongues was not meant for believers. Tongues was not meant for believers unless it was interpreted. I already addressed that. And here Paul says uh, about interpretation: prophecy is not to unbelievers. Prophecy, the teaching of Scripture, is for believers. We would, today we would say the Bible is for believers because we have the Holy Spirit to help us understand it and apply it. But prophecy is not for unbelievers. Scripture is not for unbelievers, primarily, but to those who believe. But in the church, I, in the church among Christians, Paul says, "I desire to speak five words with my mind. I'd rather speak five intelligible, understandable, normal words that don't need to be interpreted when I'm talking to the church, when I'm talking to Christians, because that's more edifying. It edifies everybody. That I may instruct others also as I teach, rather than ten thousand words in a tongue. If I'm going to, you know, speak ten thousand words in a tongue and it's not interpreted, it doesn't really benefit anybody there that is listening. It's not edifying. That's his argument. So tongues is." limited uh the next point there it was to be done by no more than two or three people at any one time on any given occasion it's not just everybody jumping up like popcorn and you got 25 30 50 100 different people speaking in tongues all at the same time one after the other that violates a clear biblical principle by paul who said first corinthians fourteen twenty-seven: if anyone speaks in a tongue it should be by two or at the most three people that's it so it was limited and each in turn. There needs to be order and dignity and reverence. It's controlled. It's not spontaneous. Rolling around in the aisles. Each in turn and let one interpret every time it is done. Orderly. Systematically. Under control. And also tongues was forbidden if there was no interpreter. He says point blank. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. If you have the gift of tongues you don't have an interpreter or you can't interpret it, you don't say anything. Zilch, zip, nada, it's not for the church. So it was limited. Number four. Speaking in tongues was for a limited time. This is one of the most controversial. Speaking in tongues was for a limited time. I believe our statement of faith at Grace Bible Fellowship says that we believe that the the, the sign gifts have ceased. Or something like that. So I would be a cessationist. Now some people would accuse me of saying, Well, you don't believe in the gifts. You don't believe in the Holy Spirit. No, I believe in the gifts. Actually, I believe in all of the spiritual gifts. And you know what? I believe in the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I believe God is still doing miracles today, every day. And I believe God is doing the same amazing miracles with the, as, as much power and amazement as He ever has before. God is a working, He was a miracle working God. So just because I say that some of the spiritual gifts have ceased and are obsolete and don't exist doesn't mean I don't believe in miracles. It doesn't mean I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I do believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I mean different things by those phrases than someone maybe with a Pentecostal charismatic background. I believe God does miracles. As a matter of fact, the greatest miracle that God does today is answered prayer, isn't it? And the greatest of those prayers, or the greatest miracle that God does is when He takes a sinner and saves that sinner, right? makes them a new creature, transforms them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. There is no greater miracle. God still does miracles. But I will still insist that some of the gifts have ceased. I remember when I was candidating at a church in the Midwest one time, and I actually wanted to go there, and they wanted to hire me, and they offered me a contract and everything. I was ready to go and I was working with the elders there. And then the key elder, when I looked at their statement of faith, um, I said that I I did not believe that speaking in tongues was for today. And he did. So he was charismatic in his background, but it was a Baptist church. And he said, well, I believe speaking in tongues is for today. Although the rest of our board doesn't, just as the chairman of the elder board, I want you to know I believe that speaking in tongues is for today. And I said, well, that's surprising that they let you be the chairman of the elder board. But anyway, um, so we had a wonderful dialogue About it. It It's very edifying for both of us. And I I told him, I said, Well, why do you believe speaking in tongues is for today? And he said, Well, I believe the Holy Spirit uh, is still working today. I said, Well, so do I. That's how I got saved. Just because I say that tongues cease doesn't mean that I don't believe the Holy Spirit is working. And then I asked him, I said, Well, do you believe that any of the spiritual gifts have ceased? And he said, No. I said, Oh. Do you believe that apostleship was a spiritual gift? He paused, was silent. Scratched his head, said nothing, panicked, turned red. 60 more seconds, he said, I'm not sure. And then he said, yeah, I think so, I think it ceased. Well, are there any apostles today? Well, I I don't know. Do you have any apostles at your church? You're the chairman of the board. "Uh, No. (laughs) So I guess I could say that apostleship has ceased. Do you think that apostleship is a spiritual gift? Oh, I don't think so. I was like, whoa. And I took him to 1 Corinthians 12. The list, not only is it a spiritual gift, it is the main spiritual gift. It was the priority spiritual gift. It was the first spiritual gift given by Jesus to His church. It's listed in 1 Corinthians 12.30. It is one of the 19 spiritual gifts. It is the first gift given to the 12 apostles. The church was built on the gift of the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The two most prominent spiritual gifts given for the church were apostleship and prophecy. So I had him. I said, and I read it to him, and he said, "Yep, yeah, wow, there it is. Apostleship. Well, I guess I do believe apostleship is a spiritual gift, and I guess I do believe there are apostles today. Well, why do you say that? Well, I have to, because I said all the gifts are in existence today. So by default, he had to believe and hold to that. To be at least, he was consistent. So I appreciated that. But that is the main question I ask people who believe in charismatic theology and people who say I believe in speaking in tongues today, because their greatest issue is, well, I don't believe any of the gifts have ceased." Because that would mean the Holy Spirit isn't working today in His church. And then I always follow up, well, do you believe apostleship is a spiritual gift? And that always catches them off guard. And many times they'll say no. Well, it is a spiritual gift. And it's more important than tongues. And it has ceased. Do you believe it has ceased? Some charismatics will say the apostleship gift has not ceased. Sovereign Grace Ministries on their website, in their statement of faith, says they believe in all the gifts, including apostleship. I have a very good friend who is a pastor at a Sovereign Grace church, and we talked about this, because he hasn't always believed that. So he changed his thinking. So I called him. I said, what's up with that? You really believe in all the gifts today? He said, yeah. Even the gift of apostleship? He said, yeah. And I said, wow. Who, do you have any modern day apostles in your denomination? He said, yeah. Well, I said, who? And he said, C.J. Mahaney. I was like, wow. I've heard C.J. preach a lot. He has never referred to himself as an apostle. And when he is preaching with the big boys, Johnny Mac, John Piper, all those dudes, he always is self-deprecating and saying, I don't know anything compared to these guys. That does not sound like an apostle. Because the Apostle Paul, in every one of his epistles, is forthright and confident in his calling and his credentials. The Apostle Paul, called by God, the Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. Very important. So that's that's just a good dialogue to have to think biblically. Some gifts have ceased. Scripture is clear on that. The gift of apostleship has ceased. It is gone. That doesn't mean God doesn't value it. He valued that gift most. Jesus invested three years in the apostles. It was the use of the gift. It was a one-time gift. It was a temporary gift to lay the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.20 and 22. Christ built the church, laid the foundation of the church on the gift of the apostles and prophets. And so I would also say that prophecy has ceased. Prophecy is the supernatural ability to give direct revelation straight from God to the people. That's what the Bible is for. The Apostle John in Revelation 1 and Revelation 22 called Scripture prophecy. The Apostle Peter and Peter called Scripture prophecy prophecy we have do you believe in prophecy absolutely i have it right here it's even written down for me so i don't forget it i believe in the gift of prophecy it's right here it's unchanging it is fixed it is eternal it will never pass away so i believe in all the gifts i believe in apostleship it has ceased it served its purpose i believe in prophecy that gift of being a prophet a living prophet has died and yet the legacy is right here prophecy lives on The gift of tongues has ceased, I believe. Well, how can you say that? Well, if you accept that one gift has ceased, you've got to at least allow that maybe God decided another gift would cease because He designed it to be temporary. And that's where I want to take you. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Tim read that. People are very confused about that. Let me fill in some stuff here. 1 Corinthians... By the way, imagine that when the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12-14, it didn't have any chapter divisions, so eliminate those, and there were no verse divisions, Okay? So it's just one running dialogue. And every once in a while, maybe he'd skip an extra space to say, I'm on to a new topic. Or he would use very specific terminology to say, I am on a new topic now. That is exactly what he does in 1 Corinthians 12 where he lets the Corinthians know, now, very important Greek word, now, transition time, new topic. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. So for the next three chapters, he is talking explicitly about spiritual gifts and he never deviates from that. So when you're reading 1 Corinthians 12-14, prominent in your mind is Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. And he's talking primarily about speaking in tongues because that was the gift they were abusing. So when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, he is talking about spiritual gifts. So when it says, verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he is talking about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. That's what he's talking about. If I have the gift of speaking in tongues of men and angels, because it was supernatural ability but I don't have love, I'm I'm not motivated by love when I do it, then I am being disobedient. God looks at the heart more than anything. Then my speaking in tongues is worthless if it's not done in love and edifying others. Great point, great principle for us today. Spiritual gifts are secondary to love and the right motivation in using them, isn't it? If I speak with the gift of tongues and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong. Next one, verse 2, and if I have the gift of prophecy, that is one of the spiritual gifts. He's already mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 12. And if I know all mysteries... Did you know that was a spiritual gift? The gift of the word of knowledge? It's not just saying I know generically. He's referring to the very specific spiritual gift that he already mentioned in chapter 12, verse 8, where he lists spiritual gifts. And he says, For to one Christian is given the word of wisdom. That was a spiritual gift. Through the Spirit. And to another, the Word of Knowledge. That was a spiritual gift. So in 1 Corinthians 13, he is talking about the gift of the Word of Knowledge. Whenever you see the word knowledge, it is the spiritual gift of the Word of Knowledge. That's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about generic knowledge and learning. Very important. It's the gift of the Word of Knowledge. So literally, verse 2. And if I give, the, and if I have the gift of prophecy, and I have the Word of Knowledge, if I have the gift of the Word of Knowledge and know all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, did you know that faith is one of the spiritual gifts he just listed in twelve? It was a supernatural ability to move mountains and do miracles. It was a spiritual gift. He's not just talking about faith that every Christian put your faith in Jesus. He's not talking about that. This is the very specific limited gift of faith that few Christians have. If I have the gift of faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse 3, And if I give, giving was a specific spiritual gift mentioned in Romans 12 that the Apostle Paul mentioned. This is not just generically being nice and giving. This is the spiritual gift of giving that only a select few Christians have. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing... Love is patient. So he goes on to say that love is a priority. Verse 8, look at this. Love never fails. Love continues forever. His whole contrast is is that some of these spiritual gifts you like so much are going to fail. They're going to pass away. They are temporary. Love is not temporary. It is permanent. That's the contrast he's making. Then he goes on to say, as a matter of fact, here are some of the spiritual gifts that are temporary that will pass away. Verse 8. Love never fails. In other words, love continues. Love will not pass away. Love will not cease. Love will endure all through the church till Christ comes and even when He returns. But if there are gifts, here it is, if there are spiritual gifts, the following three spiritual gifts, if there is the gift of prophecy, that will be done away. And He uses a very specific word. Katargeo. It will be done away in the passive voice, meaning something is going to come and get rid of the gift of prophecy at the appropriate time. Katargeo. And if there are the gift of speaking in tongues, they will cease in and of themselves, literally. A different verb he uses. Puo in Hebrew. I mean in Greek. In the middle voice. And it means the gift of tongues will fizzle out in and of itself. Something isn't going to come and put it out. It's going to fizzle out on its own at the appropriate time. It's like during the 4th of July. You know those little lighter things? The spinners? You light it and it goes zzzz for about 30 seconds. and It looks really cool and then it fizzles out. That is the gift of tongues. It's going to fizzle out in and of itself. Middle voice in the Greek. They will cease. And if there is the word of knowledge, you can write that in. If there is the gift of the word of knowledge, this isn't just knowledge for everybody. It is If there is the gift of the word of knowledge, it will be done away. Katargeo. The same verb used for prophecy. Also in the passive voice. Something is going to come and extinguish prophecy. Something is going to come and extinguish the gift of the word of knowledge. But tongues is going to fizzle out by itself. What is going to come and extinguish the gift of prophecy and the gift of the word of knowledge? Well, it's the perfect in verse 10. For we know we have the word of knowledge in part as a gift, and we have the gift of prophecy in part. It is partial right now. But when the perfect comes, literally tell us, that word can mean maturity, mature. It has many meanings in the Bible. In Hebrews, it means maturity. When maturity comes, the partial... And what was the partial? The word of knowledge and the gift of prophecy. When maturity comes for the church, these partial things, like these gifts that are temporary, the word of knowledge and prophecy, will be done away. Katargeo, it will be done away. Something will extinguish it from outside. Notice he doesn't say that tongues will be put out by the partial. I mean, by the perfect thing. We don't have to wait for the perfect to come to put tongues out. It will cease in and of itself. And that's what happened early in the church. It served its purpose, just like apostleship. What is the perfect thing? Maturity. Well, what's that? Well, it could be when all the apostles gave all of their revelation, like Jude said in Jude verse 3, and they did their job, they laid the foundation, then the church was mature in terms it had everything it needed to grow down. So it could be the canon of Scripture was the mature thing. And I believe it is maturity because the illustration Paul goes on to give is that look at verse 11. When I was a child, the implication, when I was an immature child, I used to speak immaturely as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, when I became mature... When I grew up, I did away with childish things. I put them away. And he's talking about the church. The church in its infancy, in its immature phase, it needed help from God through these special spiritual gifts, apostleship, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, signs, wonders, mighty deeds, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues to help to lay the foundation of the church. I think that's consistent with what Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians 14. So anyway, but you can... Study more on your own. I put a whole bunch of verses there for you. But the point was that tongues was for a limited time period. And that's not a bad thing. God did that in his infinite wisdom for our good. And then finally, point number five regarding tongues. Tongues has recently been misunderstood. By recently, I mean since the early 1900s, primarily since the 1960s. Very confusing for the church. It doesn't need to be that way. If we just continue to hang our thoughts on main biblical principles that God has given us to guide us. And have clarity. So, just reminders in light of that so that we don't need to be divisive or confused. God sovereignly gives the spiritual gifts as He wills, not by virtue of our asking or pleading. Many would say that you just get spiritual uh, gifts by asking, or you get speaking in tongues by asking and pleading with God. God, give me spiritual, God, give me speaking in tongues and I'll do it. Paul says, no. God gives the spiritual gifts at His sovereign pleasure and He does it selectively, not to everybody. He gives a different spiritual gift, spreads them around. Not everybody has the same gifts. Uh, Speaking in tongues was supposed to be used for edifying others, not self. Huge important, Paul said, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for edification for the church. Seek to build up others with the use of your spiritual gift. Don't seek to serve self. Another principle without love tongues was worthless. If I speak with tongues but have not love, I have become a noisy gong. Totally worthless. Another clarification. Speaking in tongues was not the evidence for being filled with the Spirit. What is the evidence for being filled with the Spirit? Obedience. That is the evidence. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen in Galatians chapter five, the fruits or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, tongues is never associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Never. What is baptism of the Holy Spirit? That was the moment you became a Christian. You supernaturally, invisibly were baptized into the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, everybody's been baptized into the body of Christ. That happened when you got saved. Not every Christian should speak in tongues. Paul said, not all speak with tongues. He goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? We need different parts. We need different gifts to help the body grow in balance. All things in the corporate assembly were to be done decently and in order, not in a crazed, uncontrolled, ecstatic, and frenzied manner. All throughout 1 Corinthians 14, that's one of his main points. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and unbelievers enter and there's no interpreter, aren't these unbelievers going to listen to you guys and say, you guys are mad, these Christians are crazy. And you know, that's what the world is saying when they watch some Christian television, aren't they? When there's the speaking in tongues going on, there's no interpretation. And unbelievers, they mock it and it becomes a sitcom on Saturday Night Live a week later. Say, so you Christians are crazy. Paul knew that. Be a good testimony of the world. Uh, let all things be done for edification and building up others. God is not a God of confusion, but of order and peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 And then Paul concludes by saying to the Christians, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. By the way, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Corinth. He discipled these Christians. He was there for a year and a half. He loved this church. He loved those people. He trained up its leadership. And then he left. And even though they were messing up and committing immorality and doing crazy things and being a lousy testimony to their unbelieving neighbors, he still loved them. And he greeted that way. He greeted them that way when he opened his letter. I love you. I thank God that you believe in the Gospel. And I also thank God that He gave you a bunch of spiritual gifts. Now you just need to use them the right way. So Paul's very pastoral same time, he's very strong, very clear to hold him accountable and set the record straight. So that's our practical lesson for today is we can thank God for the clarity of his word to bring all things in our worship, corporately and in our individual lives, to be done decently and in order as an act of worshiping the God we love. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for our time together. God, I thank you for every person that you brought here today. Help us learn together, primarily through... Scripture and the Holy Spirit who continues to be our ongoing teacher. And this is a confusing topic. It's been a divisive topic. Uh, We don't have all the answers because you didn't give us all the information, Lord. But help us to be humble, teachable, balanced, practical, and obedient to everything you've clearly revealed in your word. And also to be peacemakers, especially in the body of Christ when there are different opinions among true Christians. Because you desire unity, and we know that unity is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, so we pray that that would be true at GBF and any other believer that we interact with on a regular basis. Thank you for our time together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit GBF. SV.org or call us at 650 630 0009.